You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome to our special end of the year episode. Uh, joining me today are Deputy Editor Andrew Knowlton and Special Projects Editor Julia Kramer, also known as the authors of our annual Hot 10 Best New Restaurant list. They tell me about the trends they want to see emerge in 2018, as well as the trends they want to see disappear. Uh, lots of opinions here, as per usual. Uh, so let's do this thing. Here is Andrew, Julia, and me. All right, Kramer, 2017. I'm not going to ask you whether this was a good year because <laughs> I think we know the answer to that. But food-wise, was 2017 a good year? Wait, what is the answer to that? Well, to the year itself, I think it's been a pretty rough year, just in general. Oh, oh okay. But like, Wait, for you me, thought... personally, it was a very good year. Oh, yeah, you had a baby. Yeah. Well, well, welcome, <laughs> okay, Philip. Just you're, so, you're so selfish. <laughs> well, I was like, oh, this is a great year. Well, I mean, not like for our country. But... Yeah, it's been a challenging year. How, but in terms of food and restaurants, what, what was your take? Well, I think in New York, speaking like specifically about the New York restaurant scene, I don't think it was the most exciting year. But I think in terms of the scope of the country that Andrew and I get to experience, it was amazing. I mean, it was like an incredible food year. Amazing in what meaning what exactly? Just in terms of the the, all the restaurants that I visited in the spring when I was traveling before I had a baby and seeing all these chefs who um, had sort of like come up in the last couple years and were opening their own places and doing their own thing and cooking the food that they wanted to cook. And I don't know, it was like every city I went to, it was just had amazing food from people who truly cared about what they were doing. And, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, I can't complain about that. No, I think it's it's amazing. I think that the parody now across the country is really interesting, and that sort of sort of reflects what you've said for a few years now, Knowlton. You've been pretty rough on New York City as a quote unquote restaurant city in terms of the hot ten and how many New York restaurants make it onto your best of list. Yeah, year. I mean, I think we we're always uh, more critical of the things that we love mm-hmm. and and are near and dear to our hearts, the city we live in. But I mean, I think. You know, what Kramer said is I, I think for so long, you know, it's kind of like new American food, uh, kind of Western food defined kind of restaurants that you would go out to uh, and have a bottle of wine and spend two and a half hours or fine dining. And I think in the past couple of years, that level of kind of diversity and I think a brewery Bavana or I think about a Mr. Jews. A brewery Bavana is where again? That's in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina and Mr. Jews in San Francisco. I just think. I'm more excited about stuff that is outside of kind of my knowledge and canon of food mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I think fortunately, maybe not in New York, but around the country, more and more first and second wave immigrants are are, are able to open up uh, restaurants, not just, you know, everyday restaurants, but fine dining restaurants and, and pushing the envelope what those cuisines can mean, not only back in, you know, Vietnam or, or uh, Laos or wherever, but also in the United States. I think that's what made this year exciting for yeah, me. And, and last year you had like your number two restaurant was Bad Saint uh, Filipino, Filipino restaurant in yeah. D.C., which is one of my favorite restaurants and not just great food, but such warm hospitality yeah. and just good vibes. But see, that there. food is so exciting because there's no, I go in with it, me personally, with no expectation. It's just so thrilling. You know, it's like discovering a new, you know, a new land in, in yeah. a lot of ways for me. Yeah, and it's nice to have a multi, like the multi-course experience that is, I don't want to knock Thomas Keller, but, you know, it's not like the Thomas Keller per se experience. Right. That there's so much, yeah, sort of interesting. It's sort fun. Of, you can say it. It's more yes. fun. It's more fun. <laughs> yes. Kramer's just like, mm. I agree. 
<laughs> All right. So what we want to do is on this podcast, um, we're going to break it down. We've got essentially two categories. Things you guys want to see more of going into 2018 and things you want to see less of. Mm. So we're going to be really nice and then we're going to be really catty. We're better at being catty than we are <laughs> being nice. I'll tell you that All right. So let's, uh, let's uh, oh, maybe we'll go back and forth. All right. Let's start off. Uh, number one, Andrew Knowlton. So I was having a discussion at our um, at a party that we had. Anyway, I was talking to the chef at Servos uh, and Hearts. Hearts was one of our top 10 restaurants this year. They just recently opened a place called Servos. I was giving them a compliment how if Prune Restaurant in New York or Stella Restaurant in New York or even Alice Waters back in the day in California at Chez Panisse represents a time and a place in restaurants, I felt like Hearts and Servos represent a time and a place in American cooking. And by that, I mean a focus on sustainable seafood and also on tinned fish, which is, I know people are laughing like, yeah, I like tuna fish also, but there's so many cool things happening with tin fish, literally fish in a tin that you would roll off the aluminum foil. Um, and they're using a lot of that at hearts and servos. And I just, we talk a lot about Portuguese food and, and food. Uh, the city of Lisbon is going through a big transformation now. Um, and they use, that's where most of that tin seafood comes from. And it's just, it opens up a whole different arena of flavors and food and sustainability. And that food excites me right now. So I want to see more restaurants, A, using sustainable seafood. That goes for every sushi restaurant that people turn a blind eye to when they're serving bluefin tuna. Uh, but I'm excited by their clam dishes and their mussel dishes and the way they're, they're using mackerel, Mr. Rappaport, mm -hmm. mackerel, uh, sardines, anchovies. The most famous burger this year was probably their lamb burger, which you have to get the anchovies on. You don't have to. You do have to. <laughs> And that's, that is exciting to me. I just feel like it, it's, I don't know what you would call that cuisine, Kramer. It's almost like Cucina Pavera, like, but the, the Lisbon, the Portuguese. Portugal style. Yeah, the Portugal sti Portuguese style. You know what I want to see less of in 2018? Ten fish. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, Kramer, we're going to go. All right, things you want to see less of, you mentioned weird desserts. Oh, yeah. This is a classic scenario for me. I love dessert, which puts me in the minority in this conversation. And when I go to a restaurant and I'm really looking forward to what the dessert is going to be, and the server comes over and says, are you interested in dessert? And I say, yeah, of course. It annoys me that that's even a question. And they bring over the menu or they start talking through them. And I scan the list and I'm just like, what? Mm. Like where? Like everything starts to sound good like when you start reading it you're like oh like chocolate cake yes i want that and then it's like with beef fat and fennel pollen and you're just like what <laughs> that's not a real example i made that up um could be good <laughs> and i just i just feel that there are certain chefs and pastry chefs who understand how to sort of push the envelope with dessert and be modern and creative and all of that for example Anna Posey of Elski in Chicago our number two best new restaurant in America this year but most people are not that talented mm. and I think that they should focus more <laughs> on chocolate chip cookies <laughs> <laughs> on the flavor of the dessert rather than like showing you know what they can do I think yeah I think it's interesting with desserts and restaurants um I do think by the time you get to dessert at a lot of restaurants, there's a certain like flavor fatigue that is set in, yeah. and you kind of just want something 
tasty and yummy. And you're like, I've kind of gone through all like the interesting stuff. And now, like, I've had, and I'm not going to name names, but there's certain restaurants out there that name are- names. Okay. Um, <laughs> I all right. I remember we did this dinner with the Bar Tartine guys, who I like, and I think they're awesome, um, and I like their food a lot. But it is it goes in that very sort of fermented-y, yogurt-y sort of direction. And then when you have a dessert that is also in that direction, the sort of that, that line between sweet and savory, you're kind of like, is is am I in dessert right now? Or was that course two? Because this tastes a lot like that course two courses ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like that notion of a lot of pastry chefs weaving in savory elements into their desserts, you know, fermented this or that with a swoosh of, you know, labna. And I'm like, I don't, am I, I guess I'm eating dessert. I don't know if I am. Yeah. I'm sim- I'm like Agent Cooper, Twin Peaks. I just want a piece of pie or I want a chocolate chip cookie or I want a scoop of gelato ice cream. That's all I want. That's the nicest thing you've ever said about dessert. I know it is. <laughs> But I just want to clarify, and not to drag this on, but like I'm not saying that I just want a scoop of gelato. You know, like I find that offensive. Like that's just not even trying. Like I want people to try. I just think that like perhaps it could be reined in a little. I mean, homemade gelato still trying. <laughs> you know, if, if they make it themselves, it's pretty a chocolate good. chip cookie. All right, I'm gonna let you redeem yourself and be a nice guy now. Okay, Kramer. Okay, um, you write. Oh, this is okay. This is a whole thing. Places treating their employees well and paying them a living wage. Yeah. So this is not exactly in the same category as tinned seafood and weird <laughs> desserts. But I think that uh, if there's one thing that we'd all like to see more of in 2018, it's um, all of us thinking about restaurants and restaurant culture more holistically. And that um, when we are going to a restaurant like I think that it's important to not separate the food from the culture that's going on in the kitchen or sometimes in the front of house that facilitates us eating that food that's uh, sexual harassment that's are the servers and the cooks being paid a living wage that's like what is the just general vibe in the kitchen are people feeling like verbally abused in that space every day well yeah and i guess well there's two thoughts there i mean a it's as sometimes as a customer it's hard to know you know sometimes you can just feel that like this like i said going back to bad saying for instance in dc like there's a certain sense of family when you walk in that place it's yeah. tiny and you see everyone who works there and you can just and it's an open kitchen and you can tell that they all get along and that they all treat each other with respect and it's a team and I think one thing you guys have done well with your hot 10 best new restaurants list the last few years you make the point that restaurants are a team it's not just about the chef you know it's not just about the tasting menu it is everyone from the chefs to the to the owner to the host to the waiters and it's that whole experience that whole team is which is what makes the experience valuable right and there's there's so much we don't know so all that we can do is if we know that there's a restaurant that's, um, you know, really focusing on creating a positive work environment for their employees, that we can support them. You yeah. know, like that there's there's not like that much else that we can do. All right. Knowlton, you have an issue with sun chokes. My least my least favorite food on running rampant on menus right now. <laughs> can I just jump in here and say this is the third straight year? Exactly. That and I'm not gonna chokes. give up until they're eradicated <laughs> from restaurant menus. And I feel bad about it because they're one of the few indigenous 
ingredients to North America. Like Native Americans used to use them and then Europeans came over and then took them back. So I feel bad about that. Know your enemy, by the way. And I just, I hate them. I hate them. It, it's a lazy thing that chefs all of a sudden have jumped on this bag when they don't taste like anything. Use a potato, you know? What do you like about them? I'm just going to point something out. What? You put up a post yesterday about okay. the best burger in America. I was going to get to that. Okay. I was going to get to that. So the best burger in America, I, I think, is a place in Charleston, South Carolina, Little Jack's Tavern. They have a little burger on there called the Tavern Burger. It costs $8. And it's a homemade bun with a uh, four-ounce patty, beef patty. Uh, it's got some homemade, um, uh, not homemade, American cheese. But then it has a sunchoke relish on it. What? I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's got this sunchoke relish. Neither did I until I investigated. They don't put it on the menu. So this is my wow. thing. But, but it, so there's, I don't know what to say, but I hate <laughs> sunchokes. I just love this sunchoke. I, it, it tastes like caramelized onions. That's what it tastes like. The relish does. The relish does. Otherwise, the other ones are just kind of starchy. But otherwise, they just fry them. It also, it's not good for your stomach either, if you know what I mean. Sunchokes. Jerusalem artichokes, whatever you call them. They're just lazy, and I don't like them. All right. Nice, Knowlton. What about Japanese breakfast spots? If I could eat anything every day for breakfast, you know, everyone in the office eats, like, yogurt, that blue yogurt, the blue algae yogurt with, like, <laughs> granola and bananas and hemp seeds. And I would eat a bowl of rice with some Japanese pickles and a nice, like, broiled or grilled piece of fish with a few little accoutrements all around. I think it's the healthiest, most sophisticated, smartest way to start the day. And one of her favorite restaurants, Julia Kramer's, does a beautiful Japanese breakfast. I don't know which one you're talking about, but I have two. <laughs> oh, you did Two See? of my favorite restaurants, yeah. Okonomi in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And this year when I went to Single Thread in Healdsburg, California for dinner and had the luxury of staying at their inn overnight, the following morning, they had this beautiful breakfast, and one of the options is a Japanese-style breakfast, and it literally felt, I was with my sister, and I literally felt like I was on my honeymoon. It was the <laughs> best morning of my life. But, you know, Adam, it's what you said the other day, is I don't like sweet uh, breakfast, and I think that's the way breakfast has gone in the United States recently, mm. with the granola frenzy. It's, everything is too sweet. I hate pancakes. I don't hate pancakes, but I don't need all that sugar. Yeah. And this is more of a savory kind of subtle thing. You were complaining about pastries the other morning. That yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, listen, I, I, I think um, Japanese breakfasts are not my thing, but I like the look of them. They always look really nice. You're so American. I know, I know. You just want a bacon, egg, and cheese. No, not healthy wrap-up. He wants soft scrambled eggs. Yeah, oh, yeah, I like, oh my God, I made really good ones yesterday for lunch because <laughs> I hadn't eaten. I got. I went to this ridiculous board meeting thing. There were supposed, it was advertised as there'd be breakfast at the meeting, but they were all like these sweet pastries. And I'm like, I can't eat like a cruffin. Looked really great, but I'm like, I can't eat that as my first no. thing. So no. I sat through this two hour meeting and I came out just like totally hangry and <laughs> freaking out. And it's like noon. I'm like, ah, I need food. And I'm like, oh, I haven't had any eggs yet. So I made some soft scrambled eggs. And I shaved a little Parmesan on top, um, minced up some chives, a little charred bread. It was delicious. Um, anyways, <laughs> Kramer, I'm looking at this list, and apparently you have an issue with LaCroix. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> I... Or is it LaCroix? LaCroix, right? It's, it's LaCroix. It's LaCroix, um, which is something that 
I have loved pretty much my entire life. You have a sweatshirt that has LaCroix on it. I have multiple pieces of <laughs> swag that have LaCroix uh, emblazoned on them. Yeah, I grew up with LaCroix. That was sort of like the Midwestern Perrier that we had <laughs> like around the house. You're from Chicago. Yes. A couple years ago when people started to get like super into LaCroix, I was totally on that bandwagon. And there were walls of it at Whole Foods and such. Yeah, yeah. It was really just sort of having a lifestyle moment and... I contributed to that. I will admit that on this podcast. Um, and then <laughs> I just drank so much of it. And I started to really dislike all of the flavors. Like I used to sort of have like a mental ranking in my head of like, oh, okay, like I like pomplamoose, I like lime, I like lemon. I think coconut is disgusting. Tangerine like is really good. Tangerine, tangerine is good. Yeah. Peach pear is Terrible. crazy. <laughs> like I could, I like had this whole ranking in my head and then all of a sudden I realized I didn't like any of the flavors and I really prefer um, other brands of seltzer. And I've discovered Spindrift. Do you guys know about Spindrift? I do know uh, about Spindrift. Yeah, I've had Spindrift. So LaCroix, if you look at the ingredients label, it says like natural flavor. I don't exactly know what that means, but Spindrift is made with um, like real fruit juice, either like lemon juice or grapefruit juice mm. um, with sparkling and you, water. And you taste it, I think. Yeah. I think you taste it yeah. when you have it. And I just love it. And so now when I'm looking for that flavored seltzer, I'm just going for Spindrift. But this isn't just a case of like, you know, you felt like you discovered this band and then everyone else starts liking the band and they come out with their second album and you're like they weren't that good anyway <laughs> no that didn't bother me at all like yeah. i genuinely liked lacroix yeah. i just now like spindrift better <laughs> nolton i love this one because i man, i have an issue with this restaurants that don't say goodbye to you after you just spent 200 dollars. yeah well <laughs> i had an old boss who said you get you get two stars you get three stars. You get one star if somebody says hello when you walk in with a smile, which that should go. If the bread is warm, you get another mm. star. And if somebody says, thank you so much for coming, you get three stars. I can The other two I can, I can deal without. But when, when I spend up to $250 for like three people at a very nice restaurant, the last thing I remember isn't the whiskey I drank. It's not the great entree. It's... The fact that there is nobody at the host stand or that they're talking to each other about where they're going to go drink after the restaurant closes and not saying goodbye to me. That's the last thing that I remember when I walk out the door. And it happens at crappy restaurants and it happens at amazing restaurants. And there's those little things that make the difference in restaurants. You know what's, you know. what's crazy? is it's, it's fascinating that still in 2018, Danny Meyer is still held up as this paragon of good service and restaurant culture. And I'm not saying he's not, but shouldn't there be a lot of other examples by now? Like, shouldn't yeah. people have learned enough from Danny Meyer that that's how you run a restaurant and it, it's not that complicated? I don't I don't understand it. And a lot of the Brooklyn restaurants are, are the worst at it because a lot of them are so small that they don't have a host stand. Mm -hmm. So there's no, there's no guardian at the door when you come and go. But when you walk out after dropping a lot of money, half that on booze, and nobody says thank you for coming... I don't know. It really bothers me. Same. Yeah. Same. Kramer, can we talk about Detroit-style pizza? Oh, sure. So um, Detroit-style pizza is something I discovered uh, that was new to me um, a couple years ago when Emmy Squared opened in Williamsburg, and they sort of brought uh, Detroit-style pizza to 
New York. And then when I was in actual Detroit reporting that sister bias story, um, I got to try it at one of the sort of OG places, this place called Buddy's. And it really speaks to me as a pizza style, I think mm-hmm. because um, it's similar to some of my favorite pizza styles like grandma style slices and Chicago deep dish, mm. which I love, um, and focaccia and like Roman style pizza. It just sort of like has the best of all worlds um, in that it's sort of sort of thick, like sort of the same um, scale as like a focaccia, but it has like these super crispy edges because it's like essentially like frying in oil as it cooks and it's- On like, a sheet tray. On a sheet tray. Yeah, there's special like black, have you seen them? They're like steel, carbon steel uh, trays that they use that, that these old uh, pizza places in Detroit swear by. Like you, that pan is so important because so you I, get that caramelization, that crispiness, and it, it, it retains the heat. Really it well retains the it. heat. I think I'm, I agree with you. I love that square, crunchy Detroit style pizza. I think it's purely a reaction to the soggy, wet Neapolitan pizza that we were forced to act like we liked <laughs> for so long for the past ten years. And that piece is good. It's fine, but it's soggy, you know, and it's wet with all that fresh mozzarella. And you get that crunch, almost like an overcrisp tombstone pizza out of the <laughs> oven. Like I don't know, I like that crunch in a pizza sometimes, and I think that's that's why I, why I like Detroit style pizza so much right now. Nolton, this is funny because I would think this would. There is so much good hummus out there now, and hummusia style restaurants, and you're complaining about bad hummus. Well, I think ninety nine percent of the stuff that is sold in grocery stores is terrible. Okay. Terrible. Really? Yes. And I think it's quickly become this kind of uh, restaurant go-to that lazy chefs just put on the menu because they know people are going to order it. Because it's hard not to order hummus. Like, just when you sit down, like, with warm lavash or some sort of pita or whatever. And some little pickled veg and a crudite situation. Yeah, it's hard not to do that. But I I had some hummus recently in Brooklyn that was appalling. Like... (laughs) It was almost worth an op-ed in the New York Times. It was so bad. And what that has done to millions of years of hummus makers around the world. You know, good hummus is hard to make. People just think they can mix tahini and garbanzo beans and some lemon juice and call it a day. Uh, Okay, before we go, Kramer, um, give me one more good one. Good airport food. You finding it out there in your travels around America? Totally. Especially, I've had amazing airport food at Chicago O'Hare International Airport. Well, not at the Delta Terminal. Which terminal are you talking about? Um, the terminal where there's an outpost of the Publican. See, and where is that? You and I, when we, no, I'm sorry, well, but no and I are there for Chicago Gourmet, a, a festival that BA does in September. We're always at that really crowded, really cramped terminal from like 1974. What are you <laughs> flying out? Where is the, what, what airline? It's is, not Delta. I don't, I'm not usually flying Delta. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's the Publican. There's also the, uh, there's two outposts of Tortoise Frontera, yeah. which yeah. has maintained its level of quality for, since it's opened. It's like really outstanding. Um, I just read yesterday of all these new places that are going into SFO. Tartine is opening some sort of outpost yeah, at SFO. Well. No, but it's like PDX, uh, Portland Airport. You know, they have a Stumptown Coffee now. They have a Country Cat, which has a really good fried chicken sandwich. It's some of the bigger. It's like, I think, Atlanta Hartsfield or or all, all the New York ones have struggled with, with having good. I mean, there's a Shake Shack there at Terminal 4 at, at uh, JFK. 
Um, but by and large, they're they're getting better though. They're I think they are. Minneapolis has really good food. Yeah, and I just think when you have a good meal in an airport, it is like the best thing you've yeah. ever. Yeah, if you have that layover, all of a sudden a layover is like, oh, so I got a couple hours to kill, but I can, you know. And, I, and I've been in the Minneapolis one recently, and they, there's that nice. You get the whole like the map of the various terminals yes. and restaurants yes. and, and stuff, and and that's a nice situation where you can sort of like pick and choose. Yeah, so more of that. And I will say just real quickly on on the way back from Los Angeles, I was lucky enough to sit in a certain class of seats, and John and Vinny, oh, who yeah. are friends from Animal and John and Vinny's Son and of LA. a Gun, yeah. they they are doing the food on uh, a lot of Delta flights. Now. Oh yeah, so no wait, way. yeah, what was that? Yeah, what, like, what did you remember? What you had or yeah yeah oh no, I had a uh, I had a beautiful little Jim's uh, salad with some uh, really crunchy breadcrumbs and a kind of a creamy uh, ranch dressing mm. that 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 they've famous for there was a white bean soup which had a nice level of heat to it and then for my entree you could get their meatballs john and vinnie's meatballs wow or you could get the uh uh chicken milanese my favorite and it was delicious wow. Wow. came with a little um caper and white wine kind of thing on the side of it it was it was delightful <laughs> and i felt good what'd you have to drink uh i had some prosecco yeah <laughs> <laughs> and on that note <laughs> I'm looking forward to 2018. Need to get myself out to L.A. Uh, Joey Kramer, Andrew Nolan, thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Gradies with additional music by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.